What's up, folks? It is Tuesday night, episode 142, and welcome to Broad Street South. I'm Angel, and tonight with us, we have Mickey Morandini, who is on the phillysportstrips.com hotline. He will be on with us here momentarily. Of course, the Phillies making some turnaround changes as they were winners of 10 in a row. Atlanta had been winners of 11 in a row, but of course, the Phillies end up taking their first loss. Right now, they're not winning, which is not a big deal. They still got a lot of game left. It's just getting underway, but good at least good news on the Phillies home front where letting go Joe Girardi and things are kind of bouncing back a little bit. Phillies at least playing now 500 ball. They've got a long way to climb back, but there's a lot of time left in the season. So we'll get into that with Mickey Morandini. Also talk about his career with the Phillies, the Cubs and the Toronto Blue Jays, which I'm pretty sure Dylan will have an amazing time talking to him about it because well, Dylan works for the Toronto Blue Jays. So with all that being said, we're going to get a quick introduction here with the guys as soon as we bring in the show intro, so I'm Angel, episode 140, and welcome everyone to Broad Tree South. And when he's not serenading Howie anytime off the field at the link, and I've seen him giving me the number one fingers, it is the godfather, Mike Fuji. <laughs> what's happening <laughs> happy tuesday everybody number 12 in your program number one in your heart billy's ambassador mickey moore indini coming on in the house ryan's here dylan's here let's get the party rocking angel how the hell are you tonight i'm doing just fine as it is burning up like the rest of the country here about 96 degrees still outside here in tampa florida which is not bad not bad for this time of year. It could always be a lot worse, but the heat weighs up there. And one guy that I know who doesn't like the heat is the national correspondent, also known as Ryan Neff. Ryan, how are you this evening? I'm Ryan Neff. It's great to be with you this evening. Mickey Morandini on. Philly's on a on a tear, although the Braves are on just as much of a tear. They're trying to stay within distance of, of the Mets. So let's get into some Phillies talk, my always, friends. Always got to be right there firing and firing the digs <laughs> towards Philly. The ranked chaser extraordinaire. That's who you are. And there he is. And along with us, of course, taking a break from the Toronto Blue Jays tonight, it is our young local Tampa correspondent, uh, Dylan Spaulding from the Toronto Blue Jays. Dylan, how are you this evening? I'm doing great, gentlemen. Good good to see all of you. Ryan, Fuji, Angel, good to see all of you guys. And, uh, yeah, lightning in the Stanley Cup for the third straight year. Trying to go back to back to back. Lightning strikes three times. And obviously, Mickey Morandini on the show tonight. Obviously, former Blue usually, light, usually, lightning don't strike twice in the same place. How do you know? Well, it's going to strike for the third time a charm. Not this year. I'll take well, the yeah. Uh, Don't listen to Fuji, ladies I'll and gentlemen. He is a fly fan. He does not know what it's like to be Please. around all this success and winning. This is it, it feels so the good. Tampa Bay Lightning I, have been in the inception since the late the early. I, di- I listen. I digress. I digress. Listen, the the Philadelphia Stars are going to go on to win the USFL championship. They have something to to pull on to getting into the summer months here. But uh, yeah, it's going to be on Angel and uh, excited for today's interview. 
All right. Well, with all that being said there, we also want to take make two quick mentions before we bring the man on himself. Eagles Mania, for the first time tonight, we are on their page. So thank you and welcome to everyone who tunes in from Eagles Mania. We really do appreciate it. And also a quick moment here for our man behind the glass who's not with us tonight, but his grandfather is not feeling well. So we wanted to take a moment for Thomas Bradshaw, and we hope to send him some good vibes, some good prayers uh, because he's not feeling well. So, uh, DJ, we hope that your grandfather gets better, and we hope that uh, he will be back on the road to recovery very soon. And with that being said, we're not going to make him wait any longer. It is the man we will consider our own myth and legend from your Philadelphia Phillies, formerly and still the ambassador for the Philadelphia Phillies, on the phillysportstrips.com hotline. It is Mickey Morandini. Mickey, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really do appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me on. Uh, as long as I don't have to talk Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, have a good show. <laughs> Thank you, Mick. How you doing? Good. How are you guys doing? <laughs> good. Listen, it, it's only because the things are getting exciting down here in Tampa. So yeah, we won't we won't bring up the Lightning, not too much at least. But uh, it, it's 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 crazy to think they're able to at least go back for a third time. So we'll leave it at that. Fuji absolutely loves them, even though he says that he doesn't. But it's okay. That's, that's we understand. A lie. Don't, don't buy into that propaganda, Mick. <laughs> but Mick, looking yeah. at your at your history here, starting from you know your time at Indiana Indiana University, and I, I want to take a quick moment because the Olympics weren't that far away. Of course, it was delayed because of COVID reasons, but you were able to at least get a game in under your belt because you did want to play with the Olympics, uh, the team in the Olympics back in the, in the eighties. And so I I want to ask. How was it to be able, first of all, to get to that dream and that goal that, that you so long desired and then able to play the one game to just quickly come back over stateside? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a long summer, but uh, I had a big decision to make. You know, do I go play with the Olympic team or do I start my professional career at the Phillies? You know, you, you live a dream to get drafted uh, professionally and then uh, all of a sudden you have this big decision. Do you put that on hold to go play for your country? And you know, to be honest with you, it was a no-brainer of a decision. You only get to play for your country once. So uh, it was a long summer. We toured uh, we toured all of the United States, the minor league ballparks. Um, we went over to Japan for a couple weeks. We went to Italy for a couple weeks. And then, obviously, we ended up in Seoul, Korea for the Olympics. But uh, it was a fun summer. I had a great group of guys with me, some really good baseball players. And, uh, fortunately, we came home with the gold. Well, listen, I, I, I wish it, if there was, I guess, a podcast for the Olympics, it'd be a great goal to accomplish, but it, there had to be something else as far as be able to go out there to be part, like you said, because I think everyone, no matter what happens in the world, I think that's a big thing that a lot of people push for is to be able to make the Olympics if that's what your goal, your ultimate goal is. So I'd imagine just walking across the open ceremonies, just being there itself. It had to be a feeling that you've never, even as, as long as your career was, it had to be a complete different feeling from your high school days to your college career to MLB. At that point, you know, you weren't there yet, but it still had to be a complete different feeling. Just being able to, be, to step out there in front of what you knew were millions tuning in to watch you guys out there on the field. Yeah, it was, it was a different feeling. You know, I had never really been away from home like that. I mean, I had been away from home in college, but to travel as much as we traveled, um, it was a, a totally different experience for us. And, um, uh, you know, to play in front of, you know, all these millions of people back in, in the, the States, it was, it was a wonderful feeling. Now in Japan, uh, when we went to Japan, it's a whole different ball game baseball there. I mean, they take their baseball obviously 
super serious and uh, they have, you know, cheerleaders in the stands. It's just a different type of baseball, but um, it was a great experience. It really prepared me uh, to start my minor league career with all the traveling and, and um, you know, riding a bus and things like that. And um, just, it, 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 just something that I'm glad I made that choice. I have a gold medal sitting at home in my trophy case, and it's something I'm very, very proud of. Hey, Mickey, uh, I, I want to ask you real quick, and I, I don't want to keep you completely on the Olympic situation, but I, I think especially in the last couple of years, obviously with COVID, you know, KBO became popular, and I think people kind of, you know, bought into some of this international baseball these last few years. But in terms of your experience, you know, what how different is the international game at, you know, playing those different international teams? How different is it, you know, for each of those countries, you know, when you're playing those different countries, how different is their game compared to maybe the United States games uh, that, that we play? How, how's the, the di- difference in play? Uh, you know, it's not a lot different. They're, they're very fundamental driven, um, especially Japan, Korea, those types of teams, Cuba, uh, even though we didn't play Cuban Olympics, they boycotted that year. We did have some, some games against them, but um, just very fundamentally driven, um, you know, they throw strikes, they make plays, they put the ball in play. Um, unlike some of the, the, you know, the professional teams today that all they care about is how hard do you throw and how far can I hit a baseball? Back in when I played, now this was in 1988, um, obviously a different game back then than it is now. But uh, those, those, those teams like Korea and Japan and, um, you know, Mexico, those types of teams, they all were very fundamental in their baseball. They really... You really had to beat them. You had to play good baseball, and you had to you had to uh, play good baseball, play fundamental baseball to beat them. Fuji. Hey, hey, Mac, thanks for coming on. Uh, I know you struck me out wiffle back there at the uh, Delco <laughs> tournament a couple well, months ago. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't very hard to do, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, just. Just checking out your uh, profile. I didn't know you were originally drafted by the Pirates in 1987. I was. In 87, I was drafted by Pittsburgh. It was my hometown team, team I grew up watching. Uh, very hard decision for me to turn that down, but I wanted to go back to college and spend another year uh, at college. We were going to have a good baseball team that year, and, um, you know, it turned out to be a great choice. I got to play in the Olympics, got drafted by the Phillies, had a great career with Philadelphia. So um, going back to school ended up being a very good choice for me. Just to fast forward to 1993, what was it like playing with those guys on Macho Row and Jim Fergosi? Unbelievable. Manager? Unbelievable. Just a great group of guys. Darren Dalton, and we've all talked about it countlessly, what a great team leader he was um, playing – you know, we came out eight and one and, and never looked back. And then the fans started coming out. And, you know, it, it, playing in front of 45, 50,000 screaming Philly fans at Vet State, and there's nothing better. And uh, the fans got behind us, and we just kind of, you know, we just kind of rode it out. And, you know, we stayed pretty healthy that year. And we had a number of guys have career years. And it was just one of those years where we just put everything together, everything clicked. We had great starting pitching. The bullpen was awesome. And obviously, you know, our offense, we think we led the league in run scored. So uh, it was a lot of fun. Just obviously just came up about uh, 30 outs too short. That's all. Mickey, again, thanks for being on. Uh, you had a stellar career, and then you got into coaching. 
what was more what's more brutal on the psyche being a player or being a coach well i think more brutal on the psyche is being a player because there's so many ups and downs in your career so many slumps uh you know so many great moments but you know you hit you have that 10 for 19 stretch and then you have that one for 20 stretch so you really you really got to be mentally tough to be a big league baseball player that's for sure and and to double that, to do it in Philadelphia, you know, a, a place where they expect, uh, you know, big things from all their athletes. It was, uh, it was, it was, uh, you know, very, let me put it this way. At the end of the season, when the season was over, you were very mentally drained and you needed a break. But uh, as a coach, it's just more frustrating, you know, trying to get players to buy into what you're trying to teach them to do. And, you know, sometimes they buy into it. Sometimes they don't. Don't. And that's the frustrating part as a coach. And as a player, what I know you've had probably memorable moments, but what was your most memorable moment as a player you can think of? I'm sorry. What was that? Yeah, your most memorable moment as a player. Uh, there's probably two. I would say. I would say the triple I hit off of Greg Maddox in Game Six of the NLCS uh, was probably one of my bigger at bats in my career. And then obviously the unassisted triple play in 92. Um, I was the first second baseman to do it in the regular season. Um, and uh, I was at the time the ninth player to ever do it. Uh, there's only been 15 of them. So a very unique occurrence in baseball. So that's something I'm very proud of. Mickey, as far as uh, when you were with the Cubs in 1998, you were witness Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire go head to head for breaking Roger Maris's record. What was, what was it just to be a witness of that? Yeah, that, that was an awesome time to be a baseball player and a baseball fan. Now, if you remember in 94 with the strike, we lost an unbelievable amount of fans and we needed something that was going to bring the game back. Now, 95, 96, 97, we were still having trouble drawing fans because, uh, uh, you know, they were still bitter from, you know, I was striking in 94 and not even having a World Series. So 98 comes, and all of a sudden, McGuire and Santa get into this humongous home run battle, and the fans started to come out and started to enjoy the game again and watch the game again, and uh, it really brought baseball back. But to be a part of that, uh, what those two guys were doing, especially in August and September, was truly amazing. It, it got to the point where every uh, out-of-town scoreboard had the McGuire-Sosa on the board and the home run battle. And I remember looking up and they turn over McGuire's number because he had just hit a homer. And then Sammy would come up and hit one and they were just going back and forth. And it really went down to about the last eight or nine days. And then finally McGuire got hot the last couple of weeks and Sammy kind of cooled off. But that was uh, that was a, a fun, fun time to be, uh, especially a, a Chicago Cub and being on that team. Do you think uh... – Major League Baseball is headed in the right direction as far as just coming off the lockout? Well, uh, I'm an old school guy, so there's some things in the game right now I don't think are benefiting the game. Um, I don't like the replay guy, but I understand you got to get the play call right. But I'm not a big replay guy. Uh, I like the human error in the game. Um, I know a lot of people don't, and I understand that. Um, I don't like the truth. Um, I do like the DH. I think the DH, is, especially here in Philadelphia this year, has been huge for us with, with Price's elbow being, you know, we've kept him in the lineup with the DH. But, uh, um, you know, 
they're, they're so worried about the time, you know, the time of the games. And, you know, baseball is meant you have to get 27 outs. And if it takes you four hours to do it or it takes you two hours to do it, um, so be it. But, you know, part of the reason I think the games are so long nowadays is the command of the pitchers. I mean, every batter has a 3-2 count on them. Um, I think I watched the game the other day. I think it was with, I don't know if it was Anaheim or who was in, but there was over 300 pitches thrown in the game. And I think it was Arizona, actually. Um, and we just, you know, that's what's making these games so long is, is these long at-bats and pitchers not commanding the baseball and, and deep counts. Um, you're not seeing the Greg Maddox, you know, 78-pitch set out, you know, in two-hour game. You're just not going to see that anymore. There was a question, Mickey, that, that was being asked. Let me bring this back up here. Make sure I bring up the comments. Uh, and then maybe Kathleen from Eagles Media asking, when you played for our Phillies, how did you feel about the Philly fans? Oh, I love the Philly fans. Um, I will tell you this. If you go out, play the game hard, play the game the right way, the fans are going to respect you. They're going to cheer for you. They're going to root for you. They're going to pull for you. Now, if you go out and you dog it, you don't play good fundamental baseball, um, you know, you don't hold yourself accountable, then they're going to have some issues with you. And I think it made me a better ball player because I knew I had to go out there and I had to play good fundamental baseball um, and, you know, play smart baseball and, and play hard. And I did that. I earned the respect of the fans. And to this day, even as a team ambassador, I can't tell you how many fans come up to me and say, I really love the way you played the game. And, and uh, you know, that makes me happy. That makes me feel like I went out and, uh, you know, did what I was supposed to do as a baseball player. My thing, the big thing is, as you just mentioned, as far as when it comes to the fans, because you, you go back to, I like to call it the same way like Fuji, a couple other guys, like the old school baseball. When it, it was, it's more, not saying it today, it's not meaningful, but now we add, you know, AI, we add AWS for as far as the stats. Everybody wants to know, you know, how, how hard did they hit it? How fast did they hit it? It's, I think there's more of a passion for the game when we were younger and we could see how hard it was for you to come up through them, you know, from the minors up through the majors. And it wasn't guaranteed you can make it and be sent right back down the very next day. We've seen you know, major league baseball players do the same thing, but I think the game has changed now with all these different, you know, stats and everything else. I, I don't know how much of a, of a big fan of you are of it. Me personally, I, I'm not, you know, I know Gabe Kepler, he was one when he was here with the Phillies now with the giants and he continues doing it. It, how do you feel with the new version of baseball where the guys want to know the projectile going out of the ballpark versus before when you knew you knocked out of the park, you knew what betting stance you wanted to use then, and you basically stuck with it all the way throughout the season? Yeah, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a huge analytics guy. I understand there's a lot of information out there, and a lot of it is useful and helpful. Uh, sometimes I think these, these players get too much information, but um, – you know, analytics has changed the game. It's completely changed the game. It's how changed how we play the game. Uh, we've eliminated moving runners. We've eliminated um, hitting for average. Uh, strikeouts are okay now when they never used to be okay. Uh, so analytics has come in and played a big part in it. Um, there's only two numbers in my mind that are important. How many runs did we score that day and how many runs did we give up? And how we get to that point um, – you know, there's, there's different methods. Now, I'm the guy that likes to bunt a guy over. I like to hit and run. I like to steal a base. I like to suicide squeeze. If there's a guy on second, I'm hitting the ball to the right side, things like that. Um, 
and you just don't see that a lot anymore. And uh, at times, I think the game can be a little boring because normally you see a walk, you see a strikeout, and you see a home run. And um, to me, that's a little boring. I like that when you could take out the second baseman and get the crowd fired up or you ran into the catcher and knocked the ball out of his glove or you had a close play at second base and the manager didn't like the call and he comes out and argues and gets the crowd fired up. You just don't see those types of things in baseball anymore. And I think it has created a little bit of, uh, I guess, boredom is, is, is the word I'm looking for. So um, it's just a completely different game today. Uh, the athletes today are unreal. They're very talented. They're stronger. They're faster. They throw the ball harder. Uh, but at times, I just think the game can be a little slow and a little boring. Hey, Mickey, uh, real quick on on keeping kind of on this topic, uh, you know, working in the minor leagues, obviously we've seen a lot of this abundance of using ABS, and obviously we've seen the automated balls and strike system being kind of tested in the minor league level and. It seems like it's it's worked for the most part, and I think fans have kind of, uh, especially at the major league level, have almost got you know kind of a little fed up with some of the calls that some umpires make. And obviously, I know they're human and such that they're just going to make bad calls here and there. But what do you think about right. automated balls and strike system being implemented in the major league level, possibly here in the near future? Well, I, I mean, we're just taking more human humanness out of the game, more human error, more human. You know, for me, I don't know why, you know, the umpires used to be directly behind home plate where they could see the inside corner, they could see the outside corner. I don't know who the genius was that came up where they have to sit so far inside where they can't really, really uh, see what that outside pitch is doing. I heard John Crux say a couple of broadcasts ago that he talked to an umpire and he asked him, he goes, because you're set up so far how do you know if that's a strike on the outside corner? And the umpire literally said, sometimes I have to guess. And Jeez. if they would just go back to being directly behind home plate, um, where they can see the entire plate, they know if it's on the corner, not on the corner. I think we'd get more consistent umpiring behind the plate. I'm not a fan of going to an automated system, but I think one of the things that has kind of ruined the game is that damn little box they draw on TV. Yep. Um, that kind of, you know, if it's inches outside that box and they call it a strike, you know, automatically everybody thinks that that's a, a bad call. And um, I think it has kind of ruined our perception of the strike zone. But uh, I, I personally want to keep the umpire. So when we played, we had to know the umpire's strike zone. Every umpire has a little bit different strike zone, and we had to know that. Uh, when we played, Terry Tater was tight. Frank Pooley was big. You know, Eric Craig had a big zone. Um, a couple other guys, you know, had tight. We knew that going into the game, what the strike zone was going to be. We knew what pitches, you know, we had to swing at or what we didn't have to swing at. And I think the players today need to, uh, you know, and maybe they do, I don't know, but they need to know those umpire strike zones a little bit better than what they do. Mickey, you're more like me. I'm, I'm old school. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, as far as baseball having problems, for me, analytics is sort of like destroyed stuff for me. You know, now you have your starting pitcher goes four or five innings, then you bring in this guy for a setup, then this guy for a setup, then you have your closer. You know, you have the shift for the last couple of years. Do you ever think there's going to be a day where, you know, the powers that be look at baseball and say, you know what, enough of all this analytics crap. Let's get back to the, the to the old way. Um. 
I think it might shift a little bit back in that direction. I don't think it's ever going to go away. Uh, I know that probably for a fact. But I do think the strikeouts are starting to become a little more important where we're, we're trying to see, you know, players put the ball in play a little bit more. Um, I, I just uh, I just wish they'd get away from the velocity thing for pitchers and, and try and um, teach a little bit more command. Um with some of these guys as opposed to just here fire it and see how hard you can throw it. But yeah, analytics has definitely impacted the game in a huge way. It's impacting all sports. It's impacting life in general. Um, but uh, like I said, there's some good things that come out of it. There's a lot of good, you know, statistics and things like that from the opposing players and, and, and things that uh, are good. I just think it's overbearing for a lot of these players at times. There's a you, could you imagine playing in today's game, Mickey, with all that? Your, your, your head would probably want to explode with all the information they give you. Yeah, you know, I would. if I was a player today, I would pick out certain things I wanted to know, and I wouldn't even pay attention to any of it. Because if, if you're sitting so much information in front of me, you're right. My head would be spinning, and I'd go up there a mess trying to hit a baseball. So I would probably pick out a couple things that are important to me. Um you know, when, when I played, we looked at film. We knew what pitchers threw when they threw it. Um, you know, I want to know what a pitcher throws, what his ball does, and, you know, maybe what his out pitch is. And then, hey, I'm going to go up there and battle my butt off. And um, that's what we did when we played. You know, this guy's got a hard sinker. Um, he's got a change up. And then with two strikes, he likes to come inside or whatever it may be. That's kind of what we went with. And, um you know, it just I just think a lot of these guys, when they see this guy throws, you know, 70, 70% first-pitch curveballs, they go up there looking for a first-pitch curveball, and the next thing you know, he's throwing a fastball right down the middle, and you're in the hole. So, um, you know, there's a certain amount of information that uh, is beneficial. You just got to pick out what works best for you. There was a couple of comments that came in as, uh, as the guys were talking about here, and I want to bring them – let me flash back here because there was one that came in that as we were talking about as far as uh, when it was asked about the Phillies, but a comment came in and I'm not too sure. Oh, may I lost a call. Nope. I did lose a call. All right. Well, he will jump back on the line here momentarily with us. So uh, as soon as Mickey calls back in, we'll get him back on the line. We know that he was uh, low percentage wise on his battery. So we'll get to, uh, we'll get to everybody here. And by the way, you guys, when you're out there, Marshall, first of all, partner, what's going on? I haven't spoken to you in a bit, but I got to make sure I catch up with you. Marshall, my, my best, one of all time, best friends out there in Philly. Uh, when I worked over at SEPTA with them doing uh, paratrans and having fun with them. So thank you, Marshall, for tuning in. I do appreciate it. And, uh, I need to talk to you soon, but there, there's a couple of comments. And again, we'll get, uh, We'll get Mickey back on the line here. A couple of comments came in. One is they they said they call us brutal fans. No, we're passionate fans. Uh, we represent our studio all, which is absolutely true. I mean, we, listen, everybody knows in Philly, we hear the expression all the time that if you know you're from New York, you know, it, 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 what's the old? Uh, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. Which is to me, if you live in New York, fine, you can live by that statement. As far as when it comes to Philadelphia, it's it's tough. It's a tough environment. It's just like Chicago. It's another city with another tough environment. Is it, oh boy, I already see. You know what? I'm gonna let the Godfather go here because I I see this smirk on your face. Say that, Godfather, because I know you're about to say something. Not that. No, I'm taking it all in. I'm just listening. All right. 
I, I was just waiting for the smart I was going to say, guys, listen, Florida's a tough environment. Well, anyways, yeah. so go ahead, Fuji. It gets no, hot out here. I mean, Boston, <laughs> Boston, New York. <laughs> All right, the whole Northeast corridors, <laughs> top of Chicago. It's more laid back. I know it's the largest city out there in the Midwest, but I mean, they're passionate fans. Don't get me wrong. I probably take some heat for saying it, but Chicago, Illinois is laid back compared to Philly, New York, Boston. Like the. I mean, these are the toughest fans in all sports. This Northeast card, Boston, yeah. New York, Philly, D.C., I mean, everything changes down there. Baltimore, really, the Ravens are the only team that really has an identity. The Orioles, nobody really gives a rat's ass about, but I'm just, I'm just, nah, I'm just saying, just telling it like it is. L.A., no. they could show up in the seventh inning or maybe halfway through the game, Florida, it's you know, it's all hey, it's all, it's hey. all mixed bag of whoa, 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 it's whoa, all mixed dude. bag of transplants down, down. That's there. not true. That's not true. Born and raised, born and raised. Yeah, you were born and raised, but I'm just saying, like, this is the toughest area in the country to play sports. It I mean, is. You, you could go down, down south, out west, down wherever in this country, but this. The Northeast Corridor is the toughest place to play any type of major sports. No, I, I agree there, and I think I'm almost certain this might be Kathleen here, where she says, LOL, I was raised in Philly 28 years, then moved to Florida. It was coming from ghetto to leave it to Beaverland, which is, uh, it, you know, it, Florida, it, You first of all, you get a bunch of transplants that are down here in Florida. Then, for the ones who live here in Florida, have no idea what it's like Anything past Florida, if they didn't have left here, hold on, we might have Mickey back here on the line here. So give us a second as we're sw switching back. Number 12, Mickey. Mickey, are you there? But that's a good thing. Well, at least you made it home safe. So that, that's great. You're back on the line here. And uh, for those who are just tuning in, we have former Phillies, number 12, the team ambassador, Mickey Morandini with us here on the phillysportstrips.com hotline. So I, I know you missed the last part as we were going through the comments. And I'll, I'll go back to the one comment that I was talking about just before you got cut off. I've got to go scroll back up here to take a look. Uh, but the one, one user said that the, uh, they call us brutal fans and, and, it's not as much that we're brutal fans, but that we are passionate fans and we stand behind the players and represent the city. So from your take, and as I know you talked about playing here in, in Philadelphia, but Philly, we it's always been known as, as a diehard town. And we know it because yeah, we will, we will bring the best out of you. We'll also bring the worst out of you. I think one of former Sixers, Charles Barkley, he said it best when he left out of Philly it made him a much better player. And he finally understood it after he was gone from here, from this environment. So how do you feel as far as when you played within the city and still being an ambassador for it, what do you think as far as the Philly fan base compared to other cities? Oh, it's, it, you're, you hit it on the nose. They're passionate. Uh, I would much rather have a, a, a fan base like they have here in Philadelphia than to go somewhere uh, where they just come out to the ballpark to have a good time and don't care about the team. Uh, the, Philly has always been known as passionate. Uh, they care about their teams. They want to win. They want to have a winner. And I think you can see it when we end up winning titles here, like in 
and uh, you know when the football team won it, what was it seventeen or was it seventeen or eighteen 17. when the football team won? You know, millions of people coming out to the parade. When the Phillies won it, no way, millions of people coming out to the parade. That shows how much people care right there. And um, you know, I I love playing here in Philadelphia. I love going out there knowing I have to be at my best. And I know this these forty thousand Philly fans are going to be behind me. There's no better feeling. Mickey, let me piggyback off that. You played for the Cubs, you played for the Blue Jays, you played for the Phillies. Can you speak to the culture of a sports town and how th- that affected affects the players? Um, how it affects the players being in a, a sports town like this? Well, I mean, the, just, just the culture of each city. Like, you play for Philly, you play for Chicago, you play for Toronto. Are they somewhat right. similar cultures, or do you do you notice different cultures when you go to that particular sports city? Oh, there's no question. The culture here is completely different than the culture was in in Chicago and Toronto. Um, uh, more, I I don't want to say more passion because Cubs fans are pretty passionate, but uh, um, I, I think Philly fans here obviously will let you know when things aren't being done the right way. Whereas in Chicago and Toronto, I don't think that happens. Um, but uh, the culture here, um, you know, you've heard it a, a thousand times is, is, you know, if you're playing bad, they're going to let you know. And if you're playing good, they're going to let you know. And, uh, you know, I, I just said that, that uh, you know, they want to win as bad. Almost sometimes I think more than the players want to win at certain times. So. Um, it made me a better ball player. I know that playing in Philadelphia for nine years uh, made me a better ball player, made me stay focused, made me want to play good baseball, good hard baseball, and do the things the right way. And, um, you know, I felt like I did that for nine years, and I think I'm kind of reaping the benefits of how I played uh, in, in my ambassadorship now because, uh, you know, as I said, I have a lot of fans uh, every day come up to me and say, uh, you know, I loved your team. I loved the way you played the game. Um, you played the game the right way. And, I, and uh, you know, that's all I think I ever wanted was to go out, play the game the right way, play the game hard, and let my athletic ability take over. And and we'll see where the, the chips fall. And I think the fans really kind of appreciated that. Mickey, when you logged up, when you uh, had, when your phone went dead, we got in a discussion here about, you know, the most passionate fans. Like, I mean, the Northeast quarter between Philly, Boston, and New York has to be the toughest place to play in the United States. I mean, not to take nothing away from these other sports towns, but you better bring your lunch pail ready in, in this part of the country. Am I right or wrong? Oh, you're completely right. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. There's certain players that if they signed in Boston, New York, or Philadelphia, they couldn't make it. Um, They just don't have that mental fortitude, uh, you know, to play through some tough times when the fans are getting on them. Um, There's a lot of players that have played in Philadelphia that just weren't Philadelphia players. Um, And as good as Gabe Kapler is doing in San Francisco – He's been a heck of a manager for a number of years now out there. He just was not a Philly guy. And, uh, you know, we have, like I said, we have certain players that come through that 
um, you have high expectations for, and they're just not, they're just not mentally prepared to play in these three big cities out here on the East coast. Now, the one thing, go ahead, Fuji. Mickey, just to jump on the whole Joe Girardi thing. Um, I mean, wh where did it go wrong? I mean, in your opinion, just as a former player and a coach. You know, I, I think that's what everybody's trying to figure out. Now, I was I did not go into the locker room. I think I was in there one time all year. So I don't know what the communication was amongst Joe and the players. How, you know, I don't know if they all knew what their roles were. And uh, that's one thing. Every manager that I played with in the big leagues, starting with Jim Fergosi and then going to uh, Terry Francona and Jim Riggleman, everybody knew their role in the team and what was expected of them. I don't know, <coughs> excuse me, what the situation here. If Joe did that with the players, um, but I will say this: they're playing a heck of a lot better now, and players do the playing on the field. So, um, you know, they weren't hitting the home runs for Joe like they're hitting the home runs the last two weeks. Uh, the starting pitching was okay for a while there in April, May. It's not as good as it has been the last two weeks. Uh, the bullpen was very shaky the first two months. It, you know, it's a lot better the last two weeks. So um, is that all on Rob Thompson? Probably not. Um, it's just the players going out and kicking themselves in the butt and saying, we got to get things done here. We're seven games under 500. we We're falling out of this race quickly. Let's kick it in gear here. And, you know, they went out, uh, had a couple of really good games, hit the ball, scored a bunch of runs, and then started getting that old Mo on their side. And they carried it, you know, through, uh, you know, I know they got off to a rough start tonight, but they've carried it through yesterday. So is, is that all on Rob Thompson? Probably not. I think it's just, you know, the players play the game. And um, right now they're playing as good a baseball as you can play. Before you get back to the two comments here from Sean, uh, the one thing, and it, it brings up a point, something that I discussed with my producer uh, over in Studio B, but as, as we talked about it before, how much blame, Mickey, does can a coach take, a manager take, when it's also talking about your production, the guys out in the field? I, I know it's easy. Like, obviously, Joe Madden went to, what, a 13-game losing streak with the Angels. He was like, go as a recent. Uh, there's talking about Lasorda, or not Lasorda, excuse me, Larusa being – tossed out from the Chicago White Sox because apparently I guess the GM who, who got rid of him like 40 years ago, still has some crazy vendetta. Now he wants to get rid of him again. But if your players aren't also producing, does it always have to be where your coach slash manager always has to take the fall? Or is it just easier to say, well, the manager's not, not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And that's why our players are in a situation where they are right now. <laughs> Well, you know, you can't fire the players. Right. Um, and, the, and at the time the Phillies fired Joe, there was no question they needed some sort of change. Either it being a trade where you bring someone in to get, you know, the team fired up or something. Uh, but something had to be done. There was just uh, – uh, they weren't playing with a lot of passion and things were heading south. So there had to be a change. And you know in sports it's always going to be the head coach, the manager, that type of guy that, that, that takes the fall for it. So, um, you know, it's unfortunate. Probably isn't all on Joe. Probably, But uh, he's the one that uh, is going to take the fall when a team's not playing good. You know, the blame has to go somewhere. And unfortunately, a lot of times it doesn't go to the players. It goes to a coach or a head coach. No. Mick. <clears throat> Sorry, go ahead, Fooch. Mickey, um, last couple of years, last 
I would say three to four years if I could think back. It just seems like uh, these three, four years, the Achilles heel has been this bullpen. I mean, it's a revolving yeah. door, bringing in, getting rid of who was there, bringing in new, you know, Familia, Brad Hand, and, and so on. I mean, right. what's, your, what's your whole take? Just your whole philosophy. Well, there's, there's no question the last three years it's been on the bullpen. I mean, the, I think last year, we, two years ago, we blew 34 saves, and I know we were up there last year. Um, I honestly believe if we had a bullpen that could close out games the last two years, we'd have made the playoffs the last two years. So um, definitely a, a big part of the last two years falls in the bullpen. And, um, you know, when, when, I'm going to be honest, when you're, when you're paying, you know, a lot of your position players, what they're paying our position players, it's tough to go out and also pay your bullpen guys. So what ends up happening is you sign a lot of guys to one-year deals hope they can come in and get the job done. And, um, you know, I, I will say the bullpen this year has been far better than the bullpen we've had the last few years for sure. Um, you know, hands been pretty consistent, you know, familiar has been a little up and down, but he's been pitching a lot better lately. Brogman's got hot. Um, you know, Knable started off hot, had a little rough patch. Hopefully he can get back to, uh, you know, closing out games. Sir Anthony's been lights out. So, um, it, it, you know, you need you you know this to be a playoff team. You have to have a good back end of the bullpen, and um, hopefully, um, I, it wouldn't surprise me. Let's put this: it wouldn't surprise me at the trade deadline if we go out and get another arm or two for that pen. I mean, not to take nothing away from Canoeble, but I'd rather see Sir Anthony just be the closer. Yeah, in and that's been the talk right now is, is, is getting Sir Anthony in there and. Uh, you know, maybe eventually it, it happens. Um, but, uh, you know, he's been so good in the seventh and eighth inning. You know, if you take him out of that role, right. you know, who are you putting in that role to be that lights out guy? So even though you're probably maybe getting something a little better in the closing, now you're giving up a little bit in that seventh and eighth. So it's a, there's a fine line there. So um, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, he's been – He's been throwing the ball unbelievably. You know, he's starting to mix it up a little bit more with the slider. And, you know, he's got the 98-mile-an-hour fastball, and he's got that cutter. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. But, uh, uh, you know, he's closed before a couple of years ago before he had the surgery, did a nice job. So we'll see if he, he kind of regains that role. Mickey, I can argue, and I get a lot of pushback on this from, from fans and, like, some other people, but – you could say the last 11 years, you could point the blame to like a conglomerate of people within this organization, why it's been so mediocre the last 11 years. And I always point out the fact that what is it about the farm system and management that they just do not know how to develop players? Well, I don't know if it's, we don't know how to develop them or we're just not drafting the right players, but uh, it has been a, 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 a fault of this team the last few years, obviously. And I think everybody knows that, that the, the minor league system has not been strong, but I do believe the last two years we've made some really good picks. You know, Bohm is in the big leagues and Moniac's up now. And um, we have these two young pitchers and Abel and uh, painter that are dealing down there. And I've talked to some of our people that feel they're probably maybe a year and a half, two years away. So they're coming up that ladder really fast. So, um, you know, if you can get young pitching in your rotation uh that is huge because then you can go out and spend that 
that starter pitcher money somewhere else, you know, in the areas that you need. So, um, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know, you know, we, we seem to, to, you know, the past nine or 10 years, take that high school kid that, you know, we think has potential, but ends up not, uh, you know, panning out. Um, personally, if I was a GM, I'll never be a GM, but if I was, I would take that, that college kid that, you know, is going to, you know, pound the baseball and, and, uh, you know, have a fast track to the big leagues or that big college arm. But uh, we went through a stretch there, you know, a number of years ago. We were taking that high school kid. And you know how it is with high school kids. It's hit or miss a lot of times, you know, the competition. And um, at least in college, you know, you're usually, especially those big schools, you're playing against good competition every day. So hopefully we've got it right the last couple of years. And hopefully we can continue to draft well. And uh, every team that, you know, is uh playing good baseball now i guarantee you they have a handful of picks that are on that team that they've drafted and they've they've got to the big leagues so you, you definitely need that uh nowadays for sure now there was a question asked by sean Corrine, good good friend of the show here and he says uh what's up guys infielder yayo munoz uh thoughts on him being called up mickey I have no thoughts because I have no idea. I've never heard of him before. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. I've never seen him play. I didn't, I I can't answer that one. So I hope uh, they must have some, some good feeling about him or they wouldn't have called him up. So um, for me, I'm hoping he catches the baseball. He can turn the double play. Well, Um, I'm assuming Camargo and, and Moni or, uh, um, Mayton and those guys will be back sooner than later. So if he can just kind of hold the fort down um, and, uh, you know, he'll play again. I'm assuming he's right-handed, so he'll play against a few lefties, but, you know, Stott will be there most of the time. So he's he's pretty much just up here as an insurance policy. They're a little short on their infielders right now. And um, uh, I don't know how the game is. I know when I left it, the game, it was 4 nothing. I don't know how it's going now, but uh, – uh, we'll see. Maybe he can come up here. You know, some of these young kids have done a great job. Scott's done a great job. And, uh, you know, Maton, you know, he played a few games there and had an impact. And um, so hopefully these young kids can keep uh, having an impact on this team. Well, Sean also, he had a follow-up question. He says, uh, Mickey, what was it like playing with Nails and Dutch during your time in Philly? Oh, it was awesome. Um, Dutch was, as I said earlier in the, in the, in the podcast, the Dutch was the best teammate best team leader i ever played with uh, just a super guy um and then lenny lenny was his 93 year was unbelievable mvp should have won the mvp that year um you know i just wish he could have stayed a little more healthy uh, during his career here in philadelphia but uh um he was focused i'll tell you what there wasn't a more focused player between those white lines and lenny dykstra he he wanted to go out there and prove to the world that he was the best player in baseball and um, when he was healthy, he, he definitely did that. Hey, Mickey, a uh, quick question real quick. Um, I know towards the end of your career, you got a chance to play with the Blue Jays, and obviously uh, working with the Blue Jays and being a big Blue Jays fan, part of the reason I got into baseball was because of Roy Holiday, and you actually got a chance to play with Roy. Obviously, he was kind of struggling at the time when he was with the Blue Jays and when you got to play with him, but what was it like to see – his career kind of blossom over the years after your career was over with, what was it like to see a guy like Roy holiday who was just an animal on the mound, especially when he was with the Phillies, what was it like to see his career kind of blow up, especially with the Philadelphia Phillies? I mean, he was just a dominant force on the mound. 
Yeah, he was, uh, you know, he was a quiet guy, worked really hard. Now, when I was there with Toronto, I believe it was in 2000, um, he was still kind of a thrower, had great stuff, but kind of the command wasn't there. I also played with Chris Carpenter there in Toronto, too, another, you know, stud pitcher that ended up being really, really good. But uh, to see those two guys go from where they were and, and where they ended up, it was truly amazing. Uh, Doc was just unbelievable here in Philadelphia. Uh, you knew when he took the ball. You were going to be in the ball game. He was probably going to go eight or nine innings um, and was probably going to win the game. So uh, it was great to see, you know, he went through a lot of mental struggles early. Um, and, and I think he hired a, a, a like a psychologist, mentalist guy um, that really turned it around for him. And uh, wow. when he came over here. He was lights out. That's for sure. Mickey, I have to ask this because I am a Pirates fan. And I know you grew up a Pirates fan. We know the trials and tribulations over the last 30 years. What's your take on what it's going to take to get the Pirates back to glory? Oh, that's a good one. Well, I mean, they always seem to develop some good young talent. And then when they get to the point where they have to pay these young players, they trade them off. So um, they're going to have to get to the point where they're going to have to spend a little bit of money. Um they do a pretty good job of developing players and getting them to the big leagues. They just never can keep them. So for them to get back to where they were in the early nineties, there really where they were, you know, winning um, their, their division every year with bonds and Benia and Drabeck and Van Slyke and those guys, they're going to have to spend a little bit of money. They don't want to spend any money. And um, that's why they find themselves in the situation that they're in every year. Fuji or Mike? <laughs> My mistake. Nick, I just came up with a, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, Yaro Munoz's uh, numbers of Lehigh Valley. The last nine games, he's had three homers, eight RBIs, seven runs scored, an OPS of 1.036, hitting 319. Has played just about every position including a game of pitcher this year. Okay. So they're bringing him up when he's hot. I mean, that's, that's good. Uh, and obviously a guy that can play multiple positions. So if you need a, you know, a, a replacement at certain positions late in the game, it's always good to have that guy on your team. So uh, like I said, they, you know, they've got three guys, I believe on the IL on the infield, they, they need some bodies up here and, uh, it's good. You know, he's good. He's hitting the ball well down there. Hopefully he can come up here and have an impact. Right. Now, Mickey, when, of course, you played with being with the Cubs, and you know as you have the south side of Chicago with uh, as the home for the Chicago White Sox. Now, it's historically known that Wrigley Field has usually pulled out more fans than historically <laughs> over the White Sox. And and for a lot of people, they, they like the Comiskey Park over – uh, right now, it's guaranteed rate field, if I remember correctly. What's it from being on the Cubs side? And if you had the opportunity of playing against the White Sox, <clears throat> is it more just, I guess, because of the marketing aspect that you have more fans that become Cubs fans over the White Sox fans? Or is it just, I guess, depending on like in, in the city and or in the state of Pennsylvania, if you're basically on the southeast portion of Pennsylvania, you're a Phillies fan, and then now if you're Central or obviously on the Western side, you're a Pittsburgh fan. So I'd, I'd like to get your take if you remember what was it 
what is there a divide, I guess, within the city it, to become either a White Sox or a Cubs fan? Yeah, I think it's mainly if you're on the south side of Chicago, you're a White Sox fan. And if you're in the city or north, you're a Cubs fan. Um, and I, I lived on the south side. I lived in northwest Indiana for a long period of time. And, you know, those are all White Sox, pretty much all White Sox fans in that area. And then, you know, when you go to into the city and north of the city, they're all Cubs fans. So I think there's that same divide uh, there, too. And obviously you're going to get some south side Cubs fans and Northside White Sox fans, depending on where you grew up and things like that. But um, I think that's the big divide um, for sure. Now, for a bonus question, follow up on that one, because this will be bonus points for my producer slash girlfriend. Uh, do you think you prefer, even though I know you play for the Cubs, so I'm going to take you away from your playing days. Do you prefer the White Sox better over the Cubs or vice versa? Oh, God, no, I'm a Cub guy. Wrigley Field's my all-time favorite ballpark to play, and absolutely, I'm a yeah. Um, if I had the choice to go to the White Sox or the Cubs, I'm going to the Cubs 100 out of 100 times. Yeah, well, I'll make sure, even though she is listening over there in Studio B, I'll let her know because she is a White Sox fan, but uh, diehard. Her her sons, uh, diehard fans. Most of the the family are Cubs fans, but I, again, I I get it, I understand it when it comes from the Chicago side. So yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I think if if you are on the South side, you tend to gravitate more towards the White Sox. But they've they've been coming up. They've got a good farm system built. So I think the White Sox give them another. I would say about another year or two. And I think for me personally, I think they're they're going at least deep within the playoff run. And and of course, Fuji is already giving me a side eye look because I know he I, I bring up other teams and I know if it's not Philly teams, then he goes absolutely berserk on me. But we understand he is a Harry Roseman fan, so I get it. I you know we all understand it. Oh, and by the way, Mickey, if you need someone to sing, uh, whether it being uh, Godfather-like music or the opera. Reach out to Fuji because there's a picture of it. You're, you know, I'll have to send it to you. There's a picture of him that he did a, a great um, – what, what's what I'm looking for here? He did a great rendition of The Godfather a couple years ago, and he's got a picture of a good friend of his end up taking it. So we had posted up last week on the show. So if you ever need someone to sing, reach out to The Godfather. He's, he's the one that does it for you. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> and, and with that, Fuji, I'll flip it over to you. Uh, what's that? <laughs> Nah, he's flipping it over to me, man, because right behind oh, okay. Angel and his behind me has a Tampa Bay Buccaneers mini helmet. So he, he turned. Now it's not Benedict Arnold anymore. It's Angel Martinez that's the traitor. Because he, he's originally from Philly, but jumped on the Tampa Bay bandwagon. Well, you know what? Tampa Bay's got it pretty good right now. You know, the Lightning are on a possible three feet the the bucks with brady have obviously been very very good but a super bowl and tampa bay the the rays man they do it right and they're always in it um i don't know how they do it but they do it right and they you know they they get from within they they draft well and develop well and um that's an organization that that knows how to to uh do it and win ball games they've, they've been amazing the last number of years it's, it's amazing to me to see Fuji overtime can of worms there. And by the way, Mickey, just to kind of get you caught up, Fuji and I like to tease each other all the time. I always say he's got a Howie Roseman tattoo on him, which he doesn't. But we like to go back and forth. So if you were visually on the show, if you were here, you would understand a little bit better. But we like to go back and forth with each other. So all we do is just tease each other. But no, Kevin Cash, it, it's amazing what he's done with that Rays organization because they don't have 
deep pockets like, you know, whether it be in the Phillies or the New York Yankees or even as, as far as the Texas Rangers. And the Rangers don't have deeper pockets than the Rays do. But for some reason, Kevin Cash puts a great team together. And it's surprising to me that he's yet to still win manager of the year. And I'm trying to figure out what's he coming up short on every single year. He's in the running, but always ends up coming up short. So do, do you have kind of like an idea why he hasn't gotten it yet? I, I, the only thing I can think of is there's always one team each year that comes out of nowhere and, and surprises everybody. I think we kind of know what we're getting from Tampa now. You know, they're going to win 100 games. They're going to go to the playoffs. They're going to battle for their division. But there's probably always a team that, you know, you don't expect it's going to make that run, and they make that run, and then that manager gets manager of the year. But uh, you're right. Kevin Cash has done a, a remarkable job down there. No, it was just, uh, I was just corrected here by our young uh, local Tampa correspondent. He's saying that Cash did win a manager of the year in 2020. And I, you know what, Dylan, I may have forgotten about that. You're absolutely right. I think because of COVID might have been the whole reason why it kind of got thrown off there. Mm-hmm. So, and, and by the way, the Phillies are up or still, excuse me, tied up 4-4 in the middle of the fifth. Oh, good. Yeah, so good. That's, that's good there. But I, I know we just got about two minutes left here before the, uh, the show ends beginning. And again, I thank you so much for coming on. We know that you were with the Phillies doing some time with them today. So we appreciate you coming on. Uh, if you want to hang on for a couple of minutes after the show, it's up to you. But if you have to run, we understand it. But thank you for your time. We really do appreciate you coming on with us here tonight. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Uh, sorry, I uh, my phone died there for a few minutes, but uh, great being on your show. And you know, maybe uh, later on in the year when the Phillies uh, jump in the jump above those Mets and grab that first place spot, maybe we can chat again. Sounds good, Mickey. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate it. And uh, Fuji, I don't know if you had a last word there. I uh, well, you know, appreciate you coming on, Mick. You know, taking your time out, and you know, it was nice meeting you at that wiffle ball tournament. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, next time I go to the Dolan's bar, I, I expect you to have a little better swing. All right. <laughs> all right. Now, I'll be ready for you next year. <laughs> See, you share over the can of worms comes right back at you, but no, Mickey, listen, thank you so much. Once again, thank you. Not only for the memories, obviously with the Phillies and, and your career and what you have done, but what you continue to do for the Phillies, what you continue to do for the city. And we hope that maybe it, maybe just maybe we can see some postseason baseball by the Phillies. But again, we appreciate your time. We thank you so much for coming on with us. Well, thanks for having me, guys, and best of luck to uh, you and, and the rest of your shows. Thank you. We Thank appreciate you. it. All right. So, Mickey Morinini, join us there on the phillysportstrips.com hotline. We do appreciate it. And again, uh, it, it's always fun. It's, you know, listen, whether it's a former Major League Baseball player, NFL, NBA, you name it, it's always good to be able to catch up and have a great time. And the, the best part is, I think, and I could be wrong, fellas. But it's just a natural conversation of having with everyone that we've had on. And it and I think that's to me, that's more feel good because we may get to hear things that we normally don't do if you know on other shows, you know, on other networks and everything else. I think on this side of the house, we get to be a little more personal and we end up having more of engagement. So, you know, I I I think it was a great time here with Mickey tonight. And so I, I like to go around the table and see what you guys think as well. Anyone? Don't speak. No, go ahead. I'll go last. Uh, Ryan, I'll let you go first. No, I mean it's it's always a pleasure when it's it's more personable, you know. And it's you get to hear different sides of things. You know, people forget athletes live, breathe the same we do every day. They run into the same kind of problems every day you know, the trials and tribulations of life. And it's just, it's, it's easy to get a, 
a different perspective separate from the athlete, the person, if you know what right. I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. I think to be able to, you know, kind of pull the curtain away and get that kind of inside look at, at, at what an athlete's, you know, career was like and, and you know, their trials and tribulations, I think that's uh, the great thing about having a sports show and, and covering sports. And I, I think you get a chance to do that, obviously, especially in baseball. I think there's so many great stories in baseball. Baseball's always been, I feel like the sport that has always had like some crazy thing happen to at least one player. And I think there's always been a great story each year in baseball. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome to have, have these guests on. I, I think it was great. Oh, my take, you know, meeting Mickey Moore and Danny and Kevin Stocker, you know, we're both, you know, great you know, very nice to have come on, but I was, you know, playing wiffle ball, you know, I was on Stockers team and, you know, just talking to him one-on-one, it was like just talking to one of you guys or just us, anybody talking around the water cooler, like Mickey Moore and Danny just very down to earth. And, you know, I asked these guys to come on and they're like, yeah, sure. Just, you know, like regular everyday people like we are. And, you know, it's, you know, it's not always, you know, about getting the autograph or, you know, but it's just when players can take the time out, you know, to just stand there and talk, you know, whether it's two minutes, five minutes, an hour, it's a privilege because, you know, we don't get to interact with these guys one-on-one. And, you know, Angel, we've been doing this show for two years. And, you know, we we've been very fortunate and blessed to get, you know, the likes of Seth Joyner or Mickey Morandini, Barrett Brooks. I mean, the list goes not only just, you know, the athletes, but, you know, the Derek Owens, the Mark Barzettas, the Rob Mottis of the world. That You know, it's only like a lifetime. Like, who the heck would have thought 30 years ago, you know, you'd be talking with Mickey Morandini or a Seth Joyner. Right. You know, it's was like unheard of but now it's you know we didn't get any of these guys to come on and take their you know free time and come on like you know some guys may want to get paid for it but these guys are nice enough to go on podcast shows and whatever have you and just you know we've had Seth Joyner on two three times and talk football and you know he stayed on and you know I take my hat off the guys like that not just you know, it's a hectic lifestyle they live. You know, you're out with your family. You know, people want autographs. They want a picture. Like, you know, it's just, you know, these guys really don't have a, you know, quiet time that, you know, that sometimes they need. And, you know, like us, they're human beings. And I don't know, it's just a privilege to be doing this. You know, I'm thankful for it. And, it's a blessing. Diehard sports fan all my life, but like I said, who the heck would have thought this would have came to fruition? I mean, hey, if we ever if we never get paid for it, so be it. But hey, a lot of you know, you, you gotta be it's just a privilege and a blessing. And I, I love every minute of it. You know, met, met very met a lot of big names in the Philly area over over the last two years and never thought it would have occurred, but, you know, thanks to, you know, the viewers and, you know, 30, 31 States and 13 countries that tune into our downloads and everybody that 
comes back in every week. It's amazing, and we appreciate it, and we love it. You know, it's a passion. I mean, this has been my lifelong dream. Not that I'm going to keep rambling on about it, but it's a, it's a blessing. Nope, that it is. I hundred percent agree with you because out of the blue, not only did we get uh, Naples out of Italy there to tune into us, now there's three other neighboring uh, countries there or cities, however you want to call there, over in Italy that that's now blown up uh, there as well. So, you know, it, it's funny when you start out just like you said, Fuji, with the dream here. You, you never know where it goes, and we continue to grow overseas. And God bless because at least people are listening; they're entertained by it. And then uh, every time I see that map and it grows, it's something else. And, you know, it, it kind of refers me to the map that I saw with Dylan and Bob over there at uh, when we were calling the game um, local here, one of the college games, when they had put pins on the map of, of where people are tuning in from and, you know, where all the love is coming from. And and thanks to everybody. You know, thanks to, I mean, Eagles Mania, their page, everyone who follows them, everyone who follows, you know, Broad Street South and, you know, our YouTube, and, and especially if you listen to it, overseas i mean we appreciate everything that you guys end up doing because without you guys there's no show you know and and as i always say and it never gets old when it stops being fun that's when the show's over and so we continue to grow and and you know we we have fun some people have thanked us along the way and some other people i just i had forgotten but it's right because we never forget anyone and we never forget those that we've helped along the way and who've helped us along the way as well so we do appreciate it but with that being said i also want to make sure that i thank the ones who they who do pay for the lights and everything else around here because without them the show is impossible as well. But we like to start off with thank you to Mike Goodwin and his group down here at Tampa Joe's and ninety three sixteen Anderson Road in beautiful downtown Tampa, Florida, where yes, your Eastern Conference champions back to back to back are getting ready to celebrate here, going to Game One with the Abs. Come tomorrow night. So game one tomorrow night, game two on Saturday night. And yes, we will be down there at the Amelie Arena on Saturday night. So that should be a lot of fun down there. But if you guys are coming in into the area and you're coming out of Philly and you want to catch an Eagles game during the NFL season, visit Tampa Joe's or visit them at their website at tampajoes.com for a series food, a great place, and tons of fun. Also, fill up the bus. Yes, with phillysportstrips.com. Travel with the pros. Check out their upcoming travel packages. The one for Houston is just about, I believe, Fuji completely sold out. Yes? That I'm not sure, but I'll check on. But I believe, you know, it's filling up. Washington's filling up week three. Going down to see Wentz with the commies. And, you know, there's other trips, too. They got the uh, Indianapolis Colts. The week leading into Thanksgiving also. Vince has a hook up there to the Notre Dame-Boston College game. So go check that out as well. I mean, by the they're way, the best in the business. Vince Rizzuto and the crew over there at Philly Sports Trips will take care of you. Get online now and book your Eagles trip coming up because those trips are booking up very fast. Scotland just sold out, and that's in July sometime. Yep, it is. So what we're trying to do is fill up as many people as we can on the Broad Street South bus that's going down there to DCU. So we're trying to get about a thousand folks, if we possibly can, on the Broad Street South bus on phillysportstrip.com. So book your trip for the DCU game. Yes, they're now known as the Commanders. But for DCU, book your trip and tell them you want to go on the Broad Street South bus. Fuji will probably more than likely be on that bus. I'll make sure he's actually driving the bus because I'm teaching him how to get a CDL now so you can go ahead and drive the bus. But uh, by the way, show some love again to phillysportstrips.com. <laughs> your travel trip with the pros. Also with lgdirect.net, if you guys have 
business funding that you need, meaning the terminals for your credit card terminals and also your apparel, please visit lgdirect.net. Larry Gilman was surely you appreciate it. Again, for payment solutions, business funding, credit card terminals, and apparel, please visit lgdirect.net. Also, from In the Trenches, Big Sarge and Big Sarge Sports Media. But if you guys want to listen to a great show and it's not on the East Coast, it is over in Houston, Texas. They are on from 10 to 12 Central Standard Time. Andy Kalu, along with Big Sarge. And the reason why I bring it up, because obviously Andy Kalu, former Eagles great, uh, is on there from 10 to 12 along with Big Sarge. But the reason why I bring up Big Sarge, because of BigSargeSports.com, his latest podcast. Check it out. That it just came out yesterday. Cam Newton, right, as a point about the bottom 32, and it's a great podcast listen to listen to. So go out to BigSargeSports.com. If you guys can't spell it out, it's no big deal because he does do it differently than everybody else. The only, there's a, the only difference he ends up making at the end, instead of having an S on sports, just put a Z and or go to BroadStreetSouth.com and click on the link through there. But a great podcast that he had there talking about Cam Newton. So please visit BigSargeSports.com our partner out there along with Philly Sports Trips, LG Direct, and Tama Jones. Well, we'd like to thank Debbie, my producer over in Studio B, for the young Dylan Spaulding who took some time off tonight with his Toronto Blue Jays to be with us. Our national correspondent, Ryan Neff, following right now, and uh, I did see, I keep calling him the, the Commodore. You know what? I saw that one real kid. The Commodores. So no, Lionel I think Richie. That's right, yeah. Lionel Richie and the Commodores. Forgot Lionel Richie. Yeah, well, listen, everybody kind of forgets about him a little bit, but he's still around. He's uh, with, uh, what is that? What's the show? The Voice? No, oh, the, the other one. American, American Idol. Idol. Wow, that one. He looks good in this. Probably looks better than all of us put together. And by the way, I see one more comment coming in before I sign it off here. And there it is. There's a go. I think that was Kathleen up there. And now what are what? Bolts 2022 champs. You know, get As, the sprawled off. I'm sick of you. <laughs> take, your, take your bat, take your book, shine it up real nice and stick where the sun doesn't shine. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> Uh, you're like that, that little mean, kid the kid provoked the kid. hold on hold on one one more thing angel before you let you go <laughs> in the words of stone cold steve austin okay the lightning are going to win the 2022 championship and that's the bottom line because dylan, dylan didn't say so, so. <laughs> all right dylan we're done there so. cut it off show's over go oh, boy. yeah go well listen I will leave it with this since Mickey has said we are the toughest fans in the city, and I'm pretty sure Fuji always loves this one. So I will leave it with this. We will see you guys back here Thursday night, 8 o'clock. And we appreciate everyone once again overseas here stateside and those who follow BroadStreetSouth.com. Thank you for your patronage. We will see you on Thursday night, and we'll leave you here with this. Fuji, take us out. Go birds. Go Jays.